Jesus has just come back across from the Decapolis, which is the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He's, he's fed 4,000 people. Uh, Matthew's Gospel tells us there were also women and children uh, in this, so 4,000 men plus women and children. There's seven large baskets left over. That's the second time Jesus has done a miracle like this, where he's multiplied the food. Uh, you could go listen to last week's, uh, either the Facebook Live or the podcast is on our website if you want to hear more about that. Uh, but we're moving forward now as Jesus comes back across the lake with his disciples to the west side, and he is approached and confronted by some Pharisees who come to argue with him. So we're going to read Mark 8, picking up in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed or groaned deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Jesus is doing this. He just gets right in the boat and leaving again. Now, they, this would be the, the, the disciples, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? And he says to the disciples, as they're talking about where, like, we forgot to bring food, forgot to bring bread. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's actually the, the focal point of this, uh, this passage that we read, is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We're going to talk about what that means and what that, what that looks like. Uh, as we talk about what it means for Jesus to stand opposed to the religion of man, or man-made religion, or even uh, just the way that we try to be religious and thinking that is somehow the way we relate to God. So, watch out, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So there's three things that we're going to hit. And the first thing is when, when Jesus comes across, he gets out of the boat, that we aren't told everything that may be going on, but the Pharisees come and find him. And they come to argue with him. 
and they come to test him. Uh, it's the same, same word here, the same idea as when Jesus is tempted by the devil in the desert. And the devil would come to tempt him and says, when Jesus withstood him in the desert, he withdrew until another time, like looking for another time when he could tempt or test uh, Jesus. And here we see the Pharisees coming to tempt or to test Jesus. And they come arguing with him. Now, when you face people coming and arguing with you, it means they, they, are, they are disagreeing with you. They are trying to put you in your place. It says they're testing him, and what they're asking for is a sign from heaven. Think about, again, when the devil came and tempted Jesus, and he said, if you are the Son of God, then turn these stones to bread. If you're the Son of God, and there's this if-you-are idea. And the Pharisees come, the religious leaders, religious scholars, they come to test and to tempt Jesus into proving himself. As if his miracles that he's already done aren't enough for them. They want a sign from heaven. So what we're looking at here is this idea of there's a security that we can have when we have relationship with God, we have relationship with our Father, and there's an insecurity that we have when we are not confident in that relationship with our Father. And so the first thing we see here when Jesus is warning his disciples about uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. The first thing here is this. Jesus standing opposed to Jesus versus a deep insecurity. The Pharisees are testing Jesus. The devil, actually, this is kind of like the devil testing and tempting Jesus through the Pharisees and through the religious. But Jesus doesn't do miracles to prove who he is. He does miracles to show compassion because of who he is. His motive is compassion. Jesus' motive is compassion, not proving himself. He knows who he is. He doesn't need to prove who he is. Do you need to prove who you are? You ever feel that, that temptation that I need to prove that I'm right? And I, I think if I, were to, uh, if I were to look around the room at my own family, we could all smirk at each other because we know the tendency in our family. We, we love to study and we love to know things and we love to be right. Uh, and so when we're, when we're uh, having conversations with each other, it's very uh, easy to, uh, one, to need to be right, but also it can be easy to need to prove ourselves. When we are confident in who we are, as sons and daughters of our Father, confident like Jesus was. He didn't feel when the Pharisees are basically saying, show us a sign from heaven. They're arguing with him. And then they want a sign from heaven. 
to prove that whatever Jesus is arguing is right. But he knows who he is. He knows he's speaking truth, and he doesn't need to prove it to them. Now, I'm not saying that we're just going to start throwing things out and being like, I'm right, and I don't need to prove it. That's like, I think that could be worse. But there's this confidence and a security that we have in Christ. There's a security that we can stand in when we know who we are. When we know who Jesus is and we know who we are, we can live from that place of security. You are favored sons and daughters of God if you are in Christ. That's true. Religion will try to make us earn this. Jesus gives us this as a gift. So are you needing to prove yourself? Do you find yourself needing to prove yourself before God even? Or are you resting in the security that is yours as a son, as a daughter of God? Jesus stands opposed to man-made religion in this that would say you have to earn this place. We just sang this song. No more striving through works to earn this, simply trusting to the end. Now the second thing here is, see that the Pharisees come and they're demanding a sign from heaven. They're demanding, I said it a minute ago, as if Jesus miracles all his healing the sick that has been happening all over the region, as if that isn't enough, they want a sign from heaven. The English Bible commentary, oh, I should go to this. This is what we're at. Jesus versus demanding unbelief. The English Bible commentary uh, says that the Pharisees are demanding more proof than Jesus' miracles afforded. More proof than that. They want a sign from heaven. There is a hard-hearted skepticism in these Pharisees. And there's a hard-hearted skepticism that can creep into religion. Even if our religion is wanting to honor God, our religion is wanting to uh, preach Jesus as the way, the truth, the life, there can still be a hard-hearted skepticism in us where we're demanding Jesus prove himself before we will do what we know he's called us to do. I've quoted from this guy before. He's an African theologian, Victor Babajide Cole, and he says this, Unbelief tends to ignore plain language, seeking instead the sensational and the bizarre. We don't have to chase after the sensational. We don't have to chase after, like, what's happening at the church down the street? Have you heard about what's going on down there? Uh, You don't have to chase after sensational things. Now, does God do sensational things? Absolutely, he does. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate when God moves out of the ordinary. That's fantastic. And Jesus says to these Pharisees, though, He said, why does this generation seek a sign? He says it with this deep groaning, deep sigh. Why does this generation seek a sign? He says, no sign will be given to this generation. 
But in Matthew's gospel, it goes on just a little bit. It's kind of a big deal. Because he says in Matthew 16.4, the sign of Jonah is the only sign that will be given. The Pharisees are seeking a sign. He says the sign of Jonah is the only, is the only sign that's going to be given. Now, privately, Jesus' disciples have been seeing signs. Publicly, Jesus heals the sick. He opens deaf ears. He opens blind eyes. These aren't considered signs. They're just gifts of compassion that Jesus is pouring out. I don't know. If I was around a whole lot of supernatural manifestation and people are being healed all over the place, I might take it as a sign that I should pay attention. But Jesus says the only sign the only kind of supernatural, heavenly sign that's going to be given publicly to this generation is the sign of Jonah. Now, what happened to Jonah? Jonah became a sacrifice. Willingly, he became a sacrifice to serve others who were whose lives were at risk and who actually whose lives would have been lost if he hadn't been thrown into the sea in their place. Now, Jonah versus Jesus, there's differences. Jonah was a sinner. He was a prophetic man, yes, but he was a disobedient prophetic man. Jesus is not disobedient. Jesus is not a sinner. Uh, but the sign of Jonah is that Jonah is willingly given. He gives himself willingly as a sacrifice on behalf of others. Three days later, he emerges uh, from his watery grave, his watery tomb, uh, and the Gentiles receive his message. And Jesus says the sign of Jonah is going to be given. Jesus' death and resurrection and the gospel going to the nations actually as well is the sign that will be given. Now when that happened, when Jesus died, there was much that happened right around there. The curtain of the temple in Jerusalem this thick, thick curtain was torn in two, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom, as if God himself is ripping the curtain and saying, I will not be separated from my people any longer. My people now have immediate access to me. Uh, throughout the, the New Testament, we're discovering that the church, the people of God together, not a building, not anywhere, no building anywhere is the temple of God. The people of God are now the temple, and we can carry the presence of God uh, directly. So here's the question for all of us as Christians. When Jesus is opposing and Jesus standing against, Jesus versus demanding unbelief, what will it take for you? to believe. What will it take for you to believe? At its most basic, to believe Jesus. What will it take for you to believe the words of Jesus when he says, I will not, I will not forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. He says, all authority is given unto me. All authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. When, when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again and take you, receive you to myself, How, what will it take for you to believe that? Well, Jesus says there's a key sign that has been given. His death and burial and resurrection. And he actually warns again about that. And he says, if people can have the word of God, scripture, I'm laying my hand on my Bible. You probably can't see it in the screen. If we have the scriptures and we don't believe the scriptures, he says, people won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. But what will it take for you to believe? That you're a chosen, favored son of God, a chosen, favored daughter of God that you can rest secure in Christ's finished work on the cross. What will it take for you to believe? That's a key question. Because God is continuing to instruct us as his people to lead us, to take those paths that he has for us, there's principles that he has for us, ways that he wants us to live our lives. What will it take for you to believe him? For you to not stand and argue with Jesus or ask for a sign from heaven so that you will do what you know Jesus has already commanded you to do. What will it take? I hope that today you can go, wow, I trust Jesus' word. I trust what he has done at the cross and I can trust him with my life. Now, this is all with Jesus and the, and the disciples. And don't worry, I'm not going to go through every verse of the rest of this. I only have... Uh, one other key point to make. But Jesus leaves. He's groaned in his spirit. No, no sign is going to be given. He gets in the boat and he leaves with his disciples and then there's the confusion as he's warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they think it's about bread because they've forgotten to bring bread. They have one loaf with them. And Jesus is like, you guys, how many loaves were left over when we fed the 5,000? And they're like, or not loaves, how many baskets? And they're like, 12. And how many were left over when we fed the 4,000? And they're like, seven. And he's like, do you not understand? Do you not understand? I just imagine uh, Matthew. Uh, Matthew's a tax collector. Matthew is a numbers man. I can just imagine him doing the math, uh, you know, in his head, like 5,000 loaves, 12 baskets uh, left over. There, was, there were only five loaves to begin with, fed 5,000. So if we have one loaf, that should be enough to feed 1,000. And when there were 4,000 people and we had seven loaves, that should be, I had to do the math ahead of time, you guys. Uh, that should be enough for 571.428 people. Yeah, you just imagine him like going through. Wait, which which calculation are we even supposed to use? How, blah, blah. And Jesus is like, guys, it's not about the bread. Don't you get it? Like he is the true bread. We talked about that already. Jesus is the bread of life. Again, you can go listen to the uh, the teaching uh, from uh, Jesus feeding the five thousand or the four thousand, and hear more about that. And he says, guys, don't you get it? Don't you get it? And this is maybe the, the most key point 
Jesus versus our dull understanding. Don't you understand? Do you not see? Do you not hear? Do you not remember? It's like they're blind, they're deaf, they're forgetful. They have problems. <laughs> and Jesus is saying it's not about that. It's about the leaven of the, the Pharisees and Herod. And in Matthew 16, 12, he makes it clear. Uh, the disciples then understand. He's, when he's talking about leaven, he's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. So what was their teaching? Here it is, like just very, very quickly. Uh, they taught the law. They taught the traditions of their culture, the traditions of men built around the law. They would tend to put structure even before people. They focused on outward holiness and, and on being justified and approved through law-keeping. There was uh, the, my ESV study Bible uh, in the margins. It says there, they had a self-centered self-reliance. But the problem with this is they were inconsistent. I say the problem. One of the many problems with this. They were inconsistent and they would break the law when it was expedient for them or when it was to their benefit. There was a religious hypocrisy about them. There was even a uh, like a Jewish nationalism about them and about uh, among with them and with Herod as well, where their their power and their identity and their sense of control uh, was found uh, all in their teachings. It was it was their people were were considered superior to others. So there's this. Religious hypocrisy, political hypocrisy. And Jesus is warning all of us against this, a misunderstood vision of the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's not either of these three things. It's not nationalism. If we confuse our nation with the kingdom of God, or our, our nation or our political system with the kingdom of God. No matter how much we love our system, no matter how much we love our nation, you can be in any nation, and I've got friends leading churches in many nations in the world, we cannot confuse our nation and, and wanting good things for our nation with that being the kingdom of God. We can't confuse legalism, and that would be uh, being approved through the law can't, cannot confuse that with the kingdom of God. It's actually opposed to it. Not sensationalism. I was born in the state of Missouri, which the, the motto is, it's the show me state. Show me. It's like the Pharisees. Prove it. Show us. Show us. And, and looking for it, chasing after signs. It's not sensationalism. It's not these things. But Jesus leads us by his spirit he leads us into understanding of the kingdom of God. So here's a good question from N.T. Wright again. What would make Jesus groan deeply today? What, what even, I might get really dangerously personal and say, what about Destination Church would make Jesus groan deeply? That's a dangerous question, is it? isn't it? If we're not secure in Christ. We don't even want to think about questions like that. What would make Jesus groan? What would make him say to us, you still don't get it? 
You still don't get it. I'm asking these kinds of questions uh, in these days, like, Lord, what, what are you wanting us to grasp? What are you wanting us to understand? And I'll just tell you that, and I keep coming back to you over and over and over, is what I read from the end of Matthew 28, or a little bit ago. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Uh, making disciples. We are called to make disciples, not to make converts. We're called to make disciples, not church attenders. We're called to make disciples, not people who just read and nod and say, oh yes, I believe that, but disciples who actually are like Jesus. Disciples who do the work uh, that their teacher does. We're called to make disciples who make disciples. Um, And I think he is helping me get this right now. And we're all in the process, you guys. We're all in the process of getting it. We're all in the process of trusting Jesus versus religion uh, and walking in that trust. We're all there. We're all learning. The poison of dead religion produces this. Deep insecurity, demanding unbelief, and dull understanding. And Jesus is leading us out of these three things out of deep insecurity into actually a deep security in him. Out from demanding unbelief to really a daring faith and a daring belief. Out of a dull understanding to our spiritual eyes and ears and hearts awake, alert, and alive uh, in him. If any of these poisons have permeated you, like the leaven of the Pharisees would leaven just permeates the bread. If any of those things have permeated you, look to Jesus. Just look to Jesus. Jesus is the antidote to the poison, that poisoned leaven of the Pharisees that leads us into death. He's the true bread, and he's with us. He's with us in our boat, and he's with us on our journey. I just want to pray for you and for all of us that God would keep opening our understanding to what he's doing and what he's saying in our day, leading us out of legalism, leading us from sensationalism, leading us away from uh, all of these isms that are not his will for us and not reflective of his kingdom. Father, you lead us into your way. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And Lord, I just pray for every one of us that you would be leading us, leading, even leading our understanding into your truth, leading us in your way, leading us in your life. It's like this life-giving life. Lord, we thank you. That's who you are. Thank you that you are the antidote to the man-made religions of the world. Uh, Lord, I just pray for you, the antidote. Permeate us. Saturate us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for that. Amen. Amen.